The sermon text this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 25 through 35. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, the uh, U.S. Uh, Census Bureau has reported that... Um, the group of unmarrieds, let's call them, whether it be singles or uh, divorced or uh, widowed or widower, uh, make up close to 50% of the nation. 50%. And that, that's a large group of people. They're often overlooked. They're often undervalued. Uh, our church has 25% that would fit into that category, which is a pretty large number uh, given the unique demographic of this church having ages across uh, a full range. Um, how do you view singleness? What does the Bible speak on singleness? You know, we tend to, at least within this culture, we tend to look at singleness as more of a, of a problem to fix or an issue to cure or a loss to endure. But, but how ought we to view uh, the idea of singleness. Now, whenever I speak about singleness, I, I feel somewhat awkward uh, and a little convicted. I don't often speak of it. I, I do frequently, but probably not often as I should. And uh, I was kind of gently chided by an editorial I read on uh, an article on singleness. In the, the editorial read this, most church leaders are married men who don't have a clue about the frustrations of long-term celibacy or of missing out on childbearing. I don't think that's completely fair, but I did hear it, and it did humble me um, about this. I think we can speak to singleness. I haven't been single in a long time, but I think the Scriptures speak to it clearly, and that's what we want to look at. And, and we find this in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, you remember in 1 Corinthians 7, what you have is uh, the first six chapters Paul has been dealing with the conflict in the church. In chapter 7, he pivots and he begins to answer questions uh, that the church had posed to him. Last week, we looked at one of the questions, which is, should we continue in sexual intimacy within marriage? In other words, in a decadent culture, maybe we should become so pure as to abstain from sex. And Paul says, no, 
No, intimacy is by design to be good, and it's from God. So engage in it within the context of the covenant. Uh, the next question he deals with is the passage that we're speaking about, which is simply this. If you're single, should you get married? Is it better to get married? Or in fact, is it better to stay single? Now his short answer is, in some cases, in some seasons, and for some purposes, yeah, it is preferable to stay single. But remember, the whole chapter itself, it, whether married or single, it's about devotion to God. It's about loving God's glory. That's the purpose of it. Now, what he's trying to deal with, if you read the whole chapter, is some people were thinking, well, well maybe my happiness will be found in marriage. Or maybe my happiness will be found in getting single. Paul is saying, no. Have joy in the station that you're currently at. Rejoice where you currently are, even if, even if single. Uh, but I want to talk about the singleness, the benefits of singleness, the goodness of singleness. I want to do two things, actually. I want to talk about the goodness of singleness and why he would advocate it for some people some of the time and for some seasons. And I also want to talk about the challenges of singleness. And then how we, as marrieds, might respond to that as well. So first, the, the benefits of singleness. Uh, the first thing is that you will have less trouble. Now, that sounds kind of, I know that singles have their own troubles. Uh, but Paul's speaking about this in the context of marriage. So look with me at these verses in 25 to 28. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't, do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. And yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. That's what we're speaking about here, that, that being single will often... You'll bypass, you'll avoid some of these worldly troubles that he's talking about. Now, we know he's talking about singles here because he says to the betrothed. A betrothed was a virgin, one that's inexperienced in sexual activity. It could be singles, it could be a person that's celibate, it could even be widow. So he's, let's just call it singles. And notice that he says, I don't have a command from the Lord. That ought not concern you. He's simply saying that Jesus didn't speak specifically to this issue. But Paul does say that he's an object of mercy and he's going to speak in a trustworthy way. And what he says is, for these times of, he says, in present distress, it's better to remain as you are. What is the present distress this church was going through? We don't know for sure. Could have been famine, could have been affliction, it could have been persecution. Now there is sense to it, you know, that when a country or a culture hits trouble, uh, that to be single does present less trouble in terms of you don't have multiple people that you're caring for, that you're responsible for. And so to enter hardship alone uh, does have uh, less troubles associated with it. But he's speaking about more than just cultural issue he's and troubles. He's talking about marital troubles. Th this idea of, of marriage does present some worldly troubles. Now, this is true. I mean, when you get married... Uh, you have two sinners coming together, and that usually breeds some degree of trouble. And there's a lot of weddings I've performed where everybody agreed, happily ever after. It was not happily ever after. And for some, it didn't end that way. 
Uh, there are troubles. You, you come together with different philosophies, with different ways of raising children, with different views on things, different patterns of spending money. And, and, and it causes trouble trying to find unity in that. That's all I think he's saying. I think he's speaking about the nature of not just is the marital union sometimes providing troubles that singles will not face, uh, but other issues such as time. How do you use your time? When you're single, you use it as you want. Uh, when you're married, you have another person to consider. You can't just do what you want when you want to do it. There's other people to check on and to make sure that, or she may be a person that really likes to go out a lot. You might be more of a homebody. That causes a degree of trouble. And not just, ti not just time, but money. How do you spend your money? Well, I had certain ideas about how to spend money. Carol had certain ideas about how to spend money, and they weren't always the same. Or your home. You know, when I was a single, I, I had a bed. I didn't need a dresser. I had a corner. You could just stack your clothes up in the corner. It worked fine. You have four corners in every room. You got plenty of place to put your clothes. Carol thought we needed a dresser. It, it, it presented some degree of working through these different issues. Not just home. What about children? You know, when you have children, you have different ways of raising children. You know, raising children. Children are a blessing from God. Uh, but they do provide an awful lot of opportunities to serve, to work, and to work through troubles. When children get into trouble, uh, the, the grief is heavy on the soul of a mother or father. These things you avoid in part when you're, when you're single. Sam Albury wrote a book called The Myths of um, Singleness, and he wrote these words. He says, the point of all this is that there are both ups and downs in married life, and that these are all griefs that as a single person, he's speaking personally, I will never directly experience. And this is not to be taken lightly. The fact is, both singleness and marriage have their own particular ups and downs. The temptation for many who are single is to compare the downs of singleness to the ups of marriage, and the temptation of some of the married people is to compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness, which is equally dangerous. The grass will often seem greener on the other side, Whichever gift we have, marriage or singleness, the other can easily seem far more attractive. Paul, Paul's point is to show singles that there are some downs unique to marriage, some worldly troubles that we are spared by virtue of our singleness. Our common assumption is marriage is better or easier is simply not true. I think that's just the point he's making, that singleness can be preferable because less worldly troubles. But secondly, singleness can also be preferable because of the unique times that we are now in. Let me explain what I mean by this. Look with me at 29 to 30, 31. He says, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. What does he mean by this? Well, remember, in Greek culture, uh, time was indestructible. It just presses on. Uh, history cannot change. It just moves forward. And what Paul's saying is that's not true. Time has changed. Uh, time is right. The Christian clock is different. So with the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh to live, God has invaded the world. He has established a kingdom. Christ has died for sins. He's been buried. He's been raised. He's ascended to the Father. He's at the right hand. There is nothing more 
of God's redemptive plan that has to take place other than the return of Christ and the judgment of the living and the dead. It's all done. There's nothing else. And this is what the Bible calls the last days. The last days are not what Tim LaHaye or the Left Behind series say. The last days are a period of time from the ascension of Christ till the return of Christ. We're in the last days now. We've been in the last days. And in these last days, there's an overlapping of the ages, right? There's the age of the Spirit that has now come. The Christ has been raised. The church has been established. People are being called into the kingdom. God's kingdom has invaded. The, it has now been established and it's growing. And yet at the same time, we live under the sun. We still live struggling with sin. We still live having to still physically die. So there's an overlapping of the age. And what he's saying to the singles is, listen, we're right at the end. You don't have to get married. You know, in, in past days, oftentimes people get married for security or significance, or they'd want to become a mother or have children for a legacy or someone to take care of them. And he's saying, no, the new heavens and the new earth are coming. Just rest in your singleness. Serve God in your singleness. It's incredibly freeing. You know, Andreas Kostenberger was a New Testament prophet up at Southeastern. He's since he'd gone to Midwestern. But in his book, God, Family, and Marriage, he speaks about this trajectory of singleness in the Bible. And he begins with, in creation, there was no singleness. Everything's in pairs. There was no singles. And then in the Old Testament, you, singleness, you see singleness, but it's not seen in a favorable light. In the New Testament, you see the advantages of being single for purposes of kingdom expansion. And then in the final state, the one we're moving towards, Singleness is universal. We're not given in marriage anymore. So there's this uptick in singleness that the Bible begins, and he's saying we're living a unique time. So remain single if you want to remain single. And then the third benefit of being single would be singular devotion to God. So look with me at 32 to 35. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in the Lord in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things. How to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to God. Now, he's not disparaging marriage here, and he's not criticizing worldly concerns. We all have to deal with worldly issues. Just to live, to breathe, you have to go to the store. You have to, so worldly concerns, it, it's not a disparagement of those things. He's simply saying it's a matter of complexity and simplicity, that when you're married, life becomes more complex. There are concerns that we have. Am I being a good husband to Carol? Am I taking care of the family? Am I providing for children? She has the same concerns for me. There are, there are just more issues to deal with. There are more concerns to divide our interests. doesn't mean I love God less. I'm just oftentimes divided. You know, when we were going overseas, there were two teams that I could have joined. One was this, this team that would take Bibles across the Iron Curtain. They were back in 89 now, Iron Curtain, bringing Bibles into you know, Romania, Bulgaria, and the like. And I didn't choose that team. I chose the refugee team. Why? Because I didn't want, if something were to happen to me, I had a wife, I had two children, I, were, I was responsible. I, they're my concerns. And so we chose a different team that would be on this side of the wall in Austria so that 
it would be, I thought, better for Carol and the two girls at the time. So my decisions were made because I have concern. That's all he's saying here. He's just con- you know, speaking about the concerns that, that husbands and wives have, thinking about children, planning for retirement, thinking about money. As a single, you don't have the same. You can be more devoted. You have more time, more ability, more energy. Uh, you can engage in ministries that perhaps are riskier. You can pursue God with greater devotion. I think that's really all he's saying. There's a simplicity to the single life that in fact affords greater devotion to God. So all he is saying here is simply this, these three reasons that singleness is actually to be considered. And that is that we don't have the worldly troubles, we do live in unique times, you don't have the same concern. So I think he's just promoting singleness here. But who's he promoting it for? Well, I think he's promoting it for those who desire it, who are called to it. You know, there's two types of singles, those by choice and those by circumstance. I think those by choice are those that are drawn to it, like Paul was one of those. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, earlier in the passage, he says these words. He says, I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. That's where he is. I wish that all men and women were even as myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and one in that. So what he's saying is there's the gift of marriage and there's the gift of singleness. For some, and I want to be clear here because I think this can be confusing. I think sometimes we hear about singleness as a gift as something like you have a, a superpower given to you that you can just be single and you don't worry about desiring marriage and you don't worry about loneliness and you don't deal with sexual passion. And I don't think that's what he's saying. The word gift is grace. That God gives grace to some so that they can, in spite of their struggles with loneliness, in spite of their struggles with sexual passion, in spite of these issues that face singles, they can live a single life for the purposes of God. God gives that kind of grace. This grace is helping others be built up in the faith in a way that only a single can. Jesus kind of said the same thing in Matthew 19 when he says, for some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. In other words, there are some who renounce the blessings of family life because they want to for the kingdom of God. Those are singles by choice. We ought to encourage that. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. John Stott, many of you know that name, would be one that would fill that role. So obviously would Paul. And so would Jesus be in that role. So it has some great and, and, and many others, Amy Carmichael. Uh, but there are singles that are by, by circumstance. In other words, either by divorce, by divorce or by death of spouse or by lack of opportunities, people are single. How ought you to view your singleness? I would still call you to consider it as a gift, a gift of grace. It may be temporary. Most likely it will be. Most people, the majority of people, end up being married. Uh, but, but it's a gift of grace for this time. Elizabeth Elliot wrote these words. She says, if you're single today, the portion assigned to you for today is singleness. It's God's gift. 
Singleness ought not be viewed as a problem, nor marriage as a right. God in his wisdom and love grants either as a gift. So there's that sense of embracing it for the day. It may not be the case next year or two years from now. But for the single who is single by circumstance, I would encourage you to be asking yourself, you know, how am I utilizing my singleness for the purposes of God? What am I doing that is unique to singleness that I can do for the kingdom of God that I might not be able to do in the context of being married? So that's all Paul's saying in this passage. There are reasons to remain single for kingdom purposes. And there are ways while you are single. Because the reality of it is, all of us were born single. And if you live long enough, you will be single again. And so we need to know how to understand singleness. But there are challenges. And I want to be mindful of these. I want to remind you of what the challenges are in terms of being single. Number one is just selfishness. I mean, the temptation to just live life for yourself. It's your time, use it as you want. It's your money, use it as you want. You can avoid messy relationships. You can avoid demanding people. You can just avoid them all by retracting and, and holding up. This idea of kind of self-devotion plagues the single. You can just look at life as how it affects you. Paul cherished his singleness not because of what it afforded him to do for himself, but what it afforded him to do for others. Another temptation would be discontentment. You know, many single people feel as if God's abandoned them. I mean, I have these desires to be married, and I'm not married. What have I done wrong? And my identity for many singles is bound up in being married. I want to assure you uh, that a single is fully Christian, that there is no halfway in the Christian life, that to be born again is what gives us an identity in Christ. Not Many people think it's marriage or it's having children. That's what gives me an identity. Not so according to the Bible. It's being born again. Joseph Hellerman wrote a book called When the Church Was a Family. He says, Paul's concern in 1 Corinthians 7 was not to ask how singleness fits into God's kingdom plan. Paul was addressing the issue of how marriage fits into his kingdom plan. Now, single people are already with the program. They are concerned about the things of the Lord. Married people are the ones who need help sorting out their priorities. Uh, so be fully content. You know, Jesus was single, never involved with a woman, and was fully and completely human. Okay, the third temptation is, of course, sexual temptation. Our culture teaches that to flourish in our human nature is to give way to our sexual appetites and desires. And to repress those in any way can even be harmful of your psyche. That's the narrative of the world. The reality is that if a single asked any married couple, any honest married couple, you would find that sex, in fact, is not the way to meaning. It's not the way to fulfillment. That, that sexual intimacy is usually a place of great conflict or consternation, rarely working out as you expect it to prior to marriage. It just isn't that way. Marriage is not ultimate, and sex is not ultimate. Single needs to remember that. Now, when singles face temptation and fall, they have to remember the grace of God is the same for the married. Repentance and faith, marching to Christ. Christ who is tempted in every way. So he faced the same temptations that singles face. 
and yet was without sin, so he alone is able to help you navigate through those difficulties. And then the last temptation would be loneliness. Uh, loneliness, you know, the way the culture portrays single is this. Come home from work, apartment's dark, cold, empty, you pull out a frozen dish, you put it in the microwave, you click on the TV, you watch reruns of, of Office or Friends, and then, of course, you move to Facebook, and you see all your friends are married, having children, they're going on great vacations, you eat your half a gallon of ice cream. Now, now to me, that's a vacation, right? But to singles, that I get it, I totally get it. It is seen as, I, I don't want to minimize though I probably just did, I don't want to minimize the serious struggle that there is with loneliness. I just want you to know that as a single, that you are part of a family of God that is eternal. You know, God's family isn't by physical birth or by name. It's by faith and repentance. It's entering it by being born again. And you're part of that family. I want to quote Albury one more time from his book, the myths of singleness. He says, for those of us who remain single, uh, we might not experience a unique depth of intimacy with one person that a married friend might, but we can enjoy a unique breadth of intimacy with a number of close friends that come from having greater opportunity and capacity than married people typically have to invest in close friendships. So you see the single, you have, um, you have the benefits of singleness, and yet you have the cost of singleness. So let me charge, let me charge the single that you want to pursue devotion. You don't want to wallow in self-pity. You don't want to sit in discontentment. You want to pursue knowing God. Don't binge on Netflix. You want to focus on learning God. In this unique time, learn the one that you will stand before. Number two, guard your sexual purity. In other words, don't find romance in movies and books and pornography. Don't practice evangelistic dating where you think, I'm going to date this guy. He's shown a little bit of interest in the faith, but, but you have more interest than he does in the faith. Don't practice evangelistic dating. I would also say engage in relationships that are healthy. And that usually involves people not like yourself. I mean, be with people who are honest about their struggles and who are willing to talk about them, with whom you can labor in life. Be discerning about the voices you're listening to. And then I would say invest in ministry. I mean, you do have unique opportunities. You have an incredible amount of time and capacity. You ought to be discipling. Well, we all should be discipling at least one person. Any Christian should be discipling another, always making sure they're hearing from someone, always making sure they're explaining something to someone. But particularly with the single, you'll never have this kind of time again. You never have this opportunity again. And then to the marrieds, I would just charge us who are married to value singles, to value them. They're not a junior league. They're not going to grow up when they get married. They're fully Christian now. Their importance for this church isn't simply in the nursery or education. Their importance in this church is in prayer and in missions, pursuing leadership, and doing many other things that they're gifted to do. So let's value them. And then I would say to the marrieds as well, and I know you have many worldly concerns, but to open up your homes, deepen relationships. Invite them home on weekends. Invite them with you on vacation, not to babysit, but for a friendship. I mean, bring them in as equals. Look at them with parity that you might be able to 
ask them questions, get their perspective on things, try to understand life through there, it's really illuminating. I spent close to an hour on the phone with a couple singles in this church going through this sermon. Just, am I hitting it right? What am I missing? What perspective are you bringing to the text that I just don't have or I've lost over the years? It was immensely helpful, just immensely helpful. Uh, so so let's, let's look at the, you know, we've been doing this series on marriage. Uh, we've looked at marriage. We've looked at singleness. Uh, God brings half of this, half of our nation, a quarter of this church is in an unmarried and probably half or uh, yeah, probably a half of the quarter, half of the church is married, then a quarter are children. Uh, but but let's seek to bridge the gaps and to encourage one another in the station and of life that we're in. Let's just take a moment now and ask God for grace in terms of what does it look like to walk in obedience to this text, and then I'll pray for us in a moment.